This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 224 with Sarah Peck. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode and access to our sponsor discounts, please go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 224. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Sarah Peck is a writer, startup advisor, and yoga teacher based in New York City. She's the founder and executive director of Startup Pregnant, a media company documenting the stories of women's leadership across work and family. She hosts the weekly Startup Pregnant podcast, and she and her partner in life and work are the instigators behind More Women's Voices, a website that promotes women speakers and entrepreneurs. Sarah is also a 20-time All-American swimmer who successfully swam the Escape from Alcatraz nine separate times, once wearing only a swim cap and goggles so I think that means no swimsuit, to raise $33,000 for charity, to bring water to people who need it. To date, Sarah has written for over 75 different web publications and has delivered speeches and workshops at Penn, UVA, Berkeley, Harvard, and other conferences. She recently wrote a viral essay, The Art of Asking, which has been used across tech companies and product teams to train teams in clear communication. She's currently writing her memoir of her experience working into the tech startup world while pregnant with her first kid. Sarah is full of passion and energy around her messaging for moms and entrepreneurs. She's also very realistic and reasonable, and she has simplified her life to make her dreams and her desires very clear. You are going to love what she has to say about this. By living with less, she has been able to create more for herself and more for her family on every level. Listen in to hear Sarah share why she left a startup to start her own startup early in her motherhood journey, how she created time and money for herself to afford starting her own business, and she's also going to provide you with some super simple, brilliant budgeting tips. She's also going to share how to do less in order to accomplish more and why you need to write your own personal philosophy and how to make it actionable and not too fluffy. So let's go ahead and dive in with Sarah Peck. Sarah Peck, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We were introduced through a former guest of mine, Maria Alcoke, and she had so many amazing things to say. So no pressure, but (laughs) I think this conversation might be amazing. No pressure taken. Also, like so many women are amazing. So I am not surprised that like all of us here are amazing. Right. Well, and what I love is I get so many email inquiries from people wanting to share different stories or share what they're doing in life. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, well, I've kind of talked about that already. Or 
I don't know if that totally fits right now. And then when I get people on and we start talking about these things, I'm blown away by the different ways you can talk about very similar content and just the really impressive dynamics within every woman that a hundred percent mind boggling. It's very fun. Okay. So tell us a little more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Sure. I think what you just said is so interesting too, because I have a theory about this. There's this like one woman mythology that like we all have to kind of be this one generic woman who looks kind of the same, works really hard, but doesn't show it. Right. Like we don't sweat. Women don't sweat. And like when we're pregnant, of course, we love being pregnant. It's our manifest destiny and we should enjoy it. And then we should really love and want and crave to be parents like this, like one woman track. And what's really fascinating, I host a podcast where I interview women who are entrepreneurs and parents, and I could have the same conversation over and over again. Every woman's story is different, and they're all interesting. Yes. And I freaking love it. I totally agree. Yeah, and I get that when people come on. I've actually had, I think I've done four episodes now on foster care, which is kind of random. I like I keep getting these opportunities. And the fourth time I was like, I don't know if I should talk about this again because it's such a niche thing. But I'm so blown away by how every story is so different and so compelling. And it's just such a great indicator that like no woman's journey is the same, whether it's related to foster care or being a badass and building a business or whatever. Like no one's journey is the same. But I think we're often tracked a certain way. Like you said, like you get married and then of course you want to have babies. And of course, it's amazing being pregnant and motherhood is so magical. And it's like, actually, no, it looks like a million different things and it's different for everyone. Right. And it changes for you at the individual day over day. And like, again, what you said is so interesting because the New York Times, the modern love column, you try to pitch something for them, like a story. And this is the way that media works in it and can be kind of annoying. You pitch a story and they're like, oh, we've already covered the blank angle already, like foster care or the gay angle. And you're like, well, you can't cover that. Like, you just, that's not how it works. Right. Like, right. And so like media is just like one upmanship of. Basically, if you're familiar with psychology, it's like hedonistic adaptation where it's like, how much scarier and bigger and different can we go? We need like a more thrilling story when what I love about these podcasts that you host and that other and like blogs and seeing inside of other people's lives is, no, I don't have a near death story. Actually, I do, but I don't have a near death (laughs) story that I'm trying to like proclamate and put all over the world. What's interesting is what time you get up in the morning and do you pack your lunch for daycare or does your nanny come over or does like that stuff I find just instantly fascinating. Yeah, I totally agree. That's why Instagram stories. Oh my gosh, they're so addictive is because you're like, oh, I get to see like what this person puts in their kid's lunchbox. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's it's so when my husband's like, I don't understand. Like I could lay in bed at night before I go to bed and watch Instagram stories for like an hour. (laughs) So I do the worst thing, but I know I'm talking to moms right now. I put my kid in bed. Then I get in my bed and look at photos of my kid. Like, what <laughs> is wrong with <laughs> I do that too. And early when my son was first born, like every single date night that we went on, it was just looking at pictures of the baby. And I was like, is this weird and disgusting or is this normal? Because, and it was the thing that brought us the most joy. So I was like, we're not going to stop. <laughs> totally, totally. And then you have to kind of put it down and be like, Okay, phone down. Right. Addiction. Many addictions. Step away from the phone. Now I'm just crawling out into the hallway to open my kid's door and look at him. Okay. (laughs) Right, right. So let's talk about motherhood. Go ahead and tell us about your entrance into motherhood and into startup land, because I know that those two things were simultaneous for you, or at least paralleled each other. Yeah, so I actually have a background in architecture and a degree in psychology. And I worked in architecture for a number of years, but I left because I ended up accidentally starting a magazine, like an online blog. And it did pretty well. And people started asking me, well, how did you get attention for that? How did you build this thing? So I started my own consultancy and grew that for a while and moved to New York to chase after a love that worked out. We're still married. So that's great. We have a kid. (laughs) Yay. And I joined a startup, a Y Combinator backed startup um, based in Manhattan, and we were a company that taught people how to code online. So how to build a website, how to build your first app. And while I was there, I even while interviewing with the CEO, who's a good friend of mine, he was interviewing me. Both. It's both. (laughs) And I told him, I was like, well, like, how does family planning track into a startup? What's your schedule like? What time do you start in the morning? Do you work on weekends? 
you know, what's the deal here? Do you have a maternity leave policy? I'm not currently pregnant. I'm not planning on getting pregnant for at least another year, but it's in my life plan to do this at some point. And honestly, we're a startup and startups are in the business of figuring out how to do things differently. So my expectation for you is that this is something that is easy to plan ahead for, to figure out. It's figure outable and we can do things in an interesting and healthy and helpful way. And he was like, yeah, no big deal. Let's figure it out. So I got pregnant while I was there. It was more challenging than I expected because I was one of the only women there at the company and I was also the only pregnant person. So I was just charting out all of the... You had to be the pioneer. The pioneer. I was like, what should the maternity leave policy look like? 12 months paid. But no. <laughs> right? like, like, we're also a startup where I was helping to run the finances where I was like, hmm, we don't really have that budget, do we? And And just trying to figure it all out I think the hardest part was like the loneliness and the identity transformation of my body was doing these things I wasn't expecting. I was gearing up to do something I'd never done before. By the time I got pregnant and then was facing a maternity leave, we're in the middle of layoffs. So I was super stressed out because I just didn't know if even I would have a job. I had to sit in a room and figure out who are we laying off? Is that me? Like, how do we know what the best decision is? Am I doing the team? Like there's a lot of heartbreak in that because you wonder, like, am I doing the team a disservice by by leaving for three months and what's happening? And realized it was a really good opportunity for the team to test me not being there. Like, will this work? Will this break? Can you figure this out? Can we figure this out when I come back? And I came back after my maternity leave. I worked part time for another couple of months. Like I was gearing back up 50 percent, 60 percent. And just felt like the puzzles we were trying to solve as a company weren't changing. We weren't really solving them. And I knew that I wanted to put my even more precious energy now that I had a newborn into something where my energy was would magnify. So I left and I started my own company, which was uh, bridging off the consultancy that I had run for many years before started that up and started leading masterminds for small groups of people to get together. And that took me into 2017, where I then, this is a separate story, which I'll tell probably later, but accidentally stumbled my way into starting Startup Pregnant. Very cool. It's interesting, those kinds of accidents. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I'm excited to hear about that accident. (laughs) Sure. I mean, it surprised me. I think like sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't, Oh, that's what I'm doing? Fascinating. Like I'm late to the party. Everyone else knows this but me. I guess that's what I'm doing. So I started out as my own boss in 2003 as a personal trainer, but I was like, yeah, but like I'm not a business owner and I'm not an entrepreneur, Like, but I'm just a personal trainer who is an independent contractor. Like you can't not be a business owner and an entrepreneur if <laughs> if you're an independent 100%. contractor. <laughs> but I was like, no, but I don't really do that. <laughs> so that's it's interesting. So interesting. Yeah, and there's resistance, I think, because being an entrepreneur sounds really scary and unpredictable and unstable and insecure and like all these things. But once I embraced that and I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Cool. That means I can make like millions of dollars. Entrepreneurs make a lot of money, right? <laughs> Yeah. It really yeah. actually changed the game for me to really embrace that instead of kind of like brushing it aside and being dismissive of it. I think that's super interesting because because there's something about starting startup pregnant accidentally and then really owning it mm. and realizing, oh, no, I'm the executive director of a media company. And being able to say that out loud with confidence, yeah. that has changed how I show up totally. in building the business. Like, I take it seriously. I remember one time I was like, oh, here's my marketing plan. I was telling a friend and she was like, why are you acting like this is a question? Like, you're a business owner. This is your marketing plan, period. And I was like, oh, you're right. And it's a boss marketing plan. Like, it's a really good one. Yeah. I've done this for years. And show up the way that you would show up at a company or anywhere else. Show up for yourself. Take yourself seriously. Definitely. I had a really great moment a couple of years ago, quite a ways into my journey as an entrepreneur, when my business coach at the time encouraged me to start calling myself the CEO instead of the owner of the co- Like, I was, for a long time, I was like, well, I'm like the 
owner or the head trainer or the, and I kind of, I was never quite sure. I was like the founder. I don't know. She's like, you're the CEO. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, but I'm not that. Like, that's way too big and important. But she's like, well, look at what you do. And so that has been very transformational. I've seen a lot more female entrepreneurs, whether you are doing something, you know, whether you're running a blog or, you know, running an agency with many employees, seeing women embrace the title of CEO and whatever that capacity means for your business, no matter how big or small it is, is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. So important. It's such an interesting mindset question too, yeah. because usually what we're doing is we're drawing some sort of circle that we can exclude ourselves out of. Like, yeah, I'm not a founder because founders raise money or I'm not an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs build things at scale or I'm not a business owner. I'm a freelancer because I'm just working, you know, flexible hours during the week. And it's really interesting to start to examine what the because dot, dot, dot is mm-hmm. in each of those situations. Like, oh, I'm not a CEO because a CEO needs to have at least eight employees. Whatever it is, it's like a clause that you're giving yourself permission not to act and take yourself seriously. Right, right. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under-sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. I think that for me, motherhood, this is something I've thought a lot about, but I still don't have an answer to. Something about motherhood was very triggering in terms of me needing to take things more seriously, needing to own what I was doing on a different level, um, just being motivated to operate on a more like on a different scale. 
in a bigger way. And I see that with other moms where you're like, I'm not going to stand for like mediocre. I'm not going to stand for not like taking credit for what I deserve. I'm not going to stand for all these different things. Is that something that you can relate to? A hundred percent. The stakes are higher, right? Like you're doing things for a reason. And also like your tolerance for shit. I don't know if I should swear or not, but like your tolerance for stuff doesn't, it goes down. And you're just like, I'm not taking this anymore. And what's really interesting is a lot of people think they work 40 hour a week jobs for people who aren't entrepreneurs and they work at at companies, but they actually work jobs where they need 40 to 50 hours of recovery time after doing the work because it's so mentally, physically and emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. And so if you're working a big job, but then you have to go to the gym or you veg out and you eat pizza and you are on the couch for four hours and then you need to work out and then you have to sleep for 10 hours and there's no way to do anything outside of your job other than just manage your job. You don't have a 40 hour a week job. You have a full life that's devoted to this job. And when people transition point, right? It's not just the job. It's what you take. Like this is kind of a, your money or your life theory. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that book, but it's like people go and they make a lot more money. And then with that money they spent, they're so stressed out making that much money that they spend it on massages and things to cope and stress Mm -hmm. management. And it's just this spiral. So it's the same kind of theory. But what happens when you become a mother is all of a sudden, or a parent, right? Because dads do this too, and co-parents, is all of a sudden you don't have the time to recover from your first job. And so you go home and you you start your second and your third shift. Right. And if the stuff that was occupying you in the middle of the day was not that interesting, was a waste of time, was strategically misaligned, or requires way too much energy for you to recover from, most people are like, oh, I'm done with that. Right. Like, it ups the stakes. And it, you get this ability to discern like, wow, I put up with a lot that I can't put up with anymore. And it's not because like I'm different or worse than before. It's because I'm clearer and because it's not worth it. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah. I think you start to see the sacrifices differently, the sacrifices on your resources, whether that's time, energy, finances, those kinds of things. Yeah. Your energy becomes really precious when you have less of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I say no to so many dinner invitations now that I used to say yes to. I'm just like, oh, no, that sounds terrible. Uh -uh." Oh, I have a friend who we joke because she's asked me so many times to go out on a Sunday night. This happens like it's like every three months or something. She's like, oh, there's this really great band playing on Sunday at like eight o'clock. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I only go out on Fridays and Saturdays. And even then I need to be home by 1015. So like, there's no way on a Sunday at eight o'clock I'm going to be leaving doing anything except for like putting my pajamas on. Totally. I live in New York City, the land of where people like start dinner at 9 p.m. <laughs> right. And it's just like I'm cackling because I'm in bed watching Parks and Rec from like right. 9 p.m. until 922 because it's a 22. Right. Cause I can't even make it through a 45 minute episode. Right. And then I'm like snoring by 930 <laughs> on the best day of my life. Like, yes. <laughs> I love that you bring up the, like the 22 versus 42 minute show because my husband and on like a Saturday night, if we're going to watch a movie on a Saturday night, he's giving me at least three days notice where he's like, OK, so I'm thinking <laughs> on Saturdays, do you think maybe you could stay up. And I always complain about movies that are, if it's like a minute over two hours, it's absolutely like not going to happen. <laughs> and so oftentimes I'll be like, you know, actually I said I could watch this movie tonight, but I changed my mind. I can't do it. I can't. Then he'll be like, okay, fine. Like a 30 minute show, which is 22 minutes without commercials or a 60 <laughs> minute show. But I like have all this like <laughs> criteria about what I'm going to watch because it's, but it's an energy thing and it's an energy totally. thing for that day, for the next day. I'm like, I'm not going to stay up till 11 because the kiddo is going to be up at 601 and he only wakes up me. He just never wakes up my husband. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny that you say that because my husband and I have the same kind of contract where I'm like, if you need to watch this movie in an entirety without stopping, <laughs> I can't give you that. So right. like, so you need to watch it at a time without me. But if you can pause at an hour, I treat movies like they need like one or two intermissions. Like a minute we'll series. Like, yeah, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. Like a movie right. takes a weekend to watch in our house. <laughs> totally. Totally. So funny. So you took on two of the hardest things in the world at the same time between motherhood and then shifting gears professionally. Why and how you've talked about the why, but how did you, if you want to go deeper in the why you can, but tell us a little bit about how you navigated building a life around motherhood and building a whole new professional journey. Mm. It's really interesting because I'm surprised when I hear from women, although I should 
listen, because it, it happens for a lot of people. When we think of our careers and our lives as serial, like one thing has to happen and then the next and then the next, like first I'm going to do this. I have to pick between career or family. And I just think there's a lot more play and a lot more wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And I want to be careful how I say this too, because it's really, really hard. I wouldn't say that it's the easiest choice in the world, but also like being bored at a job is not necessarily easy or a good investment. Right. And so in order to set myself up to for the how, how to do this, starting in my mid-20s, I got really serious about saving money. I always save 15 to 20% of my paycheck. And I got really serious about cutting out crap that's not important to me and started to question a lot of assumptions about why things were a certain way and what it added up to. Like women have a lot of professional pressure to look good. And that can be really expensive. I know women that spend twenty to $30,000 a year on how they look. And for some jobs and careers, that matters. But for my career being a writer and a podcaster, my image can be managed in like a photo shoot. And then I get to wear yoga pants the rest of the time. Um, <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> yeah. So I actually spent a year and I wrote about this on... Oh, one of the minimalism blogs. I spent a year not buying a single item of clothing. I made categories for myself. I was allowed to buy new underwear as one of the categories, <laughs> but I just point blank, like with a few exceptions, didn't buy any new clothes for the entire year just to see how it worked. Yeah. And it really shifted my mindset. I was like, oh, I want to buy things that last for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I want to just have a few pieces of clothing. So even today, 10 years later, my husband and I share a dresser. I have two drawers. We split a closet. The closet's four feet wide. It's not like we split a walk-in closet. I've shifted a little bit because, well, you know, once you get pregnant and you're like, oh, I'm an expanding and contracting balloon. Like I am a changing vehicle. I have a couple of bins under my bed where I keep my variable size clothing because everything changes. But then I go back to it, right? Like right. the 10 months postpartum, I'm slowly going back into a similar or related body. And I, you know, I buy a few pieces of clothing, but I don't buy hundreds and hundreds. So that's just one example of many. I decided eating out wasn't that important to me. So I rarely do that. We eat a mean pot of rice and beans. Like (laughs) really, I know how to, like we live in a place in New York City where there's a lot of people from the Dominican Republic and there's really good Spanish rice and beans and I know how to make them. And it's like a dollar for a bag of beans. So All of those are examples of things where I'm dialing down my spending so that I can dial up my freedom. Mm, I like that. That's so significant. And it's interesting. I think it depends on the budget management in your household. I find myself with my husband, like I'm trying to negotiate for like less eating out and because I'm the one usually making dinner. And when I say usually, I mean 99.9% of the time. So I'm like, yeah, so no, actually, like I'm totally fine making dinner rather than eating out. And I'll just... I will take that on. But then if I make something and he wants to throw away like a few bites of organic chicken, I have like a huge fit because I'm like, do you understand how much of the organic chicken costs? You yeah, will eat every last bite or we will save it for tomorrow. But like we are not throwing out the organic chicken. Right, so. right. I recently got a slow cooker and I do a fresh direct, which is in New York City. It's mm-hmm. like a, a grocery delivery service mm-hmm. and it's $5 for grocery delivery. And I'm like, I'm fine. $5, like saves me an hour and a half at the grocery store. Right. Great. And I do a slow cook meal on Tuesday nights of like a big roast and a huge pot of vegetables. And then I pack it into containers for the rest of the week. So um, we do a lot of that as well. And a lot of crock pot. I have two crock pots, which makes me feel like the most efficient person <laughs> in the world. And or maybe the biggest nerd in the world. <laughs> I love it. Now, now you need an instant pot. I know. <laughs> I don't have room for it because I have the two crock pots. So funny. I'm told well, but I so I wandered of- away. A little bit away from your question about how, and I think just to kind of close that story a little, is you get a lot of freedom when you take your expenses down. And that gave me play in terms of time. And so all I needed to do for one year, it wasn't a ridiculous amount of money, even with a child. I was like, okay, you know, and we live, we choose to live in a smaller place because again, common culture would tell you, Throughout the course of your lifetime, you should be moving up. Your space should always get bigger. And I don't buy into that as a philosophy. I actually think that why not move into a place that's smaller next? Because you don't need as much furniture. You don't need to just, and we always are trying to find the 
size that's just right, like Goldilocks, right? Like just right for us and no more because otherwise we're just spending money on space that we don't use. So with all that in mind, I was able to take the leap from working a full-time job. I just ran a test for two months. I said, hey, if I can pre-sell this mastermind, I can quit my job and leave. And I put it up out there and I pre-sold it and I made $30,000 from the first round of the mastermind and I run it twice a year. And that became my base income for my business where I was able to say, okay, now I can take this money and invest it into the next part and start to grow the Startup Pregnant Project. That makes so much sense. So tell us a little bit about Startup Pregnant and then there's so many directions I want to go, but let's go with there. And then I think we can dive into some of the other pieces. (laughs) Sounds good. So Started Pregnant, in my mind, I thought it was a book. I pitched it to an agency in New York City that represents a lot of huge authors. I feel like this is one of those ways in which I'm working on my own mindset, but I thought, oh, I'm not big enough for them. I shouldn't pitch it. And then I pitched it, and they were like, this is interesting. You know, tell us more. And I spent – the reason I built the mastermind the way I did was because I knew I could run that business and not be working full-time because I was doing about five coaching calls a week and sending an email out every Monday and that was it. And then the rest of the time I had to write on the book. So I wrote five different versions of the proposal. I wrote an extended outline and chapter summaries, the 20,000 word outline. This was the majority of wow. 2017 for me. And I learned a lot from the process of it, but I never really got anywhere with getting the book to move past proposal stage. Mm. And one of their pieces of feedback was, your story is interesting, but it's not compelling enough, right? What we were talking about earlier, it's like, you didn't nearly die. Like what you right. like, give us the, you know, the Cheryl Strayed version of a memoir. I was like, I don't have that. I have that. I worked at a startup and I was pregnant and that was hard, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure other women want to know about it. And people were asking me how I did it, but they said, we'll start interviewing other women because you can start to weave in their stories. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. So I started interviewing women and I said, yeah, I should not have these conversations in private. Like I need to make these public. They're just so good. So I said, oh, I should make it into a podcast. Mm. So I was starting a podcast in my head, right? Like I'm the last one to the room. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm not going to do another free unpaid endeavor. I have a newborn. Like I can't take on yet another side project. So I might as well try to find sponsors for the podcast so at least it can pay for itself. And lo and behold, it looked like a business. It was starting to smell like a business. And all of a sudden I had a business on my hands because I was taking money from people and they were paying me to do a thing. And, and so now I like, I feel like startup pregnant. I thought I was writing a book. Then I thought I was making a podcast and now I'm running a media company and um, really acting like an entrepreneur, building systems. And we've got some really cool visions and plans and did a whole core values process and exercise and have a team. We've got four contractors and here we are. Oh my gosh. I love it. So cool. And I think that there's a certain level of responsibility you have, unless you have financial freedom and time freedom, there's a certain level of responsibility you have at a certain point when you start something like a podcast or a blog or what have you, where you have to treat it like a business. And especially if it's something that incurs costs on a regular basis, which generally speaking, a podcast does. So I love that you were mindful of that from the get go. Like if I'm going to do this, I need to get sponsors. And then even and then you were like, oh, whoops, I just accidentally started a whole new business. <laughs> totally. Damn exactly. It. Who knew? Like, <laughs> oh, maybe Startup Pregnant is also a business. That would make sense. Right. Like, that right. actually wouldn't that make sense. Yeah. And I also really love that you didn't wait. And I'm actually, are you familiar with Susan Hyatt? Yeah. So she, and I don't know if you follow her on social media, but she was pitching a book called Bear and having a hard time getting past like different stages of the whole publishing model. And so she basically, she had a goal and I want to say she had something like she had a goal of selling it or getting it. I can't think of what it's called when you get money up front. Oh, a book deal. Yeah. The book deal. Thank you. Or an advance. <laughs> so, an advance. Yeah. yeah. She wanted at least a six figure advance and she'd put this up on social media. She wanted the six figure advance. She had the book outline, everything. She had submitted it to multiple or been in contact with multiple publishers about it. She thought she had a deal. She went to New York to talk to people. And then it was like this waiting game. And at one point she was in New York for like a three day meeting and 
when she got to New York, it was like the meeting time wasn't totally dialed in. So she was like, okay, so we're here. We're just waiting to find out when we're meeting with the publisher and moving forward, blah, blah, blah. Well, she ended up spending like this three days, like never actually getting the meeting. So she was like, screw it. I'm here in New York in this like really cool VRBO. I'm just going to start shooting videos. And she basically shot videos to build out a whole entire membership site. And what she did with that time, that three days, is she was able to build out a whole business around Bear and the book outline. And she launched a six-figure business from that three days in New York. Like, if you're not going to give me my meeting to get me my six-figure book deal, screw it. I'm just going to create my own six-figure business around this book outline. And I think that that's what you did, where you're like, I have this information. People want it. People need it. I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone else to give me permission. I'm just going to go for it. And and take it it really seriously, too. Like, it's not going to be a cutesy little project. I'm going to go all in and make make it really valuable to people. 100%. And I also strongly recommend this as a business process for people for a number of different ways. The first one is launch something that's profitable right away. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people spend a tremendous amount of time in discovery or in perfecting something that they don't know whether or not it works. And it's better to ship something that's as good as you can get it, but fast Mm -hmm. and see whether or not it helps solve somebody's problem or if there's a community that's interested in it, both financially and as an audience. But the other thing that I find really compelling about the project that has been just wild for me, and this is like today is news as of right now, like something that's super exciting to me is the business I'm building has discovery built into it. So like what I am doing is creating a way to fund the research of a topic that I'm really, really interested in. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting paid to interview and research and learn from tons of people. I'm trying to do a hundred interviews with women to start. And in the process of doing that, I know, and I trust, and this is where my spiritual and my woo woo side come in. And like the idea that this is a channel for something greater, like there's a much bigger, stronger need here. I trust that all of these interviews are going to add up to something even bigger than what I'm building. Like the business I'm building right now is a bridge to the next thing. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Because I think about that a lot. So I'm at 200 episodes. and I'm like, I have 200 episodes of content. Like there's so many things I can do with this at some point. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I totally agree. Like this is a path to somewhere. It's not clear yet where, (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of ideas and there's definitely like certain things that I'm starting to navigate, but it doesn't hurt to just be creating knowing that it's going to lead to something bigger. And you can, like you said, you can feel that as you go. And especially like starting out with monetization, one of the things that I did was just offering little things and being like, Hey, email me if you want to do this little thing. Like it was like the most, it was the least tech savvy launch process ever, but it was like, shoot me an email if you're interested in this, just to feel out like, do my people want this? Is this needed? So yeah, I agree that like feel it out and start making a little bit of money just to validate that this is something people want. A hundred percent, because from a business standpoint, a lot of people will be nice to you and say that they would give you money, but actually asking them for money is a different thing. And so proving that out right away is super important as an entrepreneur. But also, you don't have to have a perfect product. I mean, the very first thing I ever launched eight or nine years ago, I launched with a sales page, not a product. Like I launched my first writing course where I was teaching people how to write based on my own personal website. And I put a sales page up and I was like, this is what I want to teach. I think I wrote, this is what I'm going to teach, right? Like I had it all figured out and I wanted to see if people would sign up and I got 30 people into the program. I'd been blogging for a little while and then, I mean, this was pre-pregnancy and pre, I I can't do this right now, but I think I drank like a bottle of wine every night or half a (laughs) bottle of wine every night and wrote till midnight, right? Just to make it work. And it was great. I was like a drunk writer (laughs) on the side of an architecture job and it worked. I definitely could not do that today, but... (laughs) There you go. Right, right. So talk about, as you've gone through this process, I know you've developed a personal philosophy and then you've also built core values around your business. So can you talk about what that's looked like for you and why that's been really powerful and how this is applicable to anyone, regardless of whether or not you have a business? A hundred percent. So when I was working back at the startup that I was in New York City, one of the things I helped a lot with was the organization of the company, what would look like a COO role and where we were headed and what we were doing, what our vision was. And I just, I mean, I'm so thankful because I learned so much while I was there, hands on deck at a company that was growing rapidly, which was just such a treat to be able to do. And so when I started Startup Pregnant, I want to take this seriously. I want to make sure I know what we stand for and I know what we're building. It was also important logistically because 
as a show that interviews people, I'm in New York City, so you might hear a siren in the background, <laughs> by the way. Um, I live on Broadway, so it's oh, like wow. giant. Yeah. <laughs> so I have so no exciting. I'm so impressed. There's sirens. <laughs> so one of the things about the show and the content that I'm talking about is we've all sorts of sensitive subjects from infertility to abortion to company failures to finances. And I said, how am I going to navigate this as a host? Yeah. to have these conversations and have a strong point of view about how we have these conversations. Like, what are the rules by which we play? What do I expect from my guests? What do I expect from myself? Like, how am I going to navigate tricky situations? And I think at any point in your life, you're either going to, like, hopefully try to figure it out, out in advance, but most of the time you're going to figure it out in real time. And I had just enough of a kind of, oh, I can do this and I can choose. Like I'm building a company and I can choose how we do this. So I sat down and I drafted my core values. Like what does it mean? What do we believe in? How am I going to have these conversations and how do I show up? And a core value in a company, most of the ones you see out in the world are a bunch of crap. Like they're just not done very well. I walked into, I'm not going to name names, but I'm gonna, I walked into the hospital where I go for my general doctor, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, our core values are responsibility, integrity, and something. And like, I don't even remember what they were. And they had them on this big sign. And single word core values are missing the point. Mm. Core value needs to be something that people say when they're in a problem situation or making a decision. It needs to be something you stand for and it needs to tell people how to act. Like responsibility doesn't tell people how to act or what to do in a hard situation. But, you know, we are edgy but not offensive is a core value that tells you how to act in yeah. a situation. Yeah. Or we take a generous stance tells you like our default to generosity. So when you're sitting there and you're a customer service agent and you're not sure, like, what do I do? You say, oh, nope, we're default to generosity. Always trust the customer, right? That tells you how you're going to behave and how you expect other people to behave. So they're actionable. So they're actionable and you can remember them. Mm-hmm. So the first one for Startup Pregnant is we speak first using the words in my experience. Mm. So anybody can, yeah, anyone can come on the podcast and say what they believe in and what they know to be true in their experience. But we don't go so far as to say, and therefore everyone should do this. And that helps me because, you know, I just interviewed a nutritionist who talks about eating animal products and she has a lot of recommendations and guidelines, but she's also very careful not to say this whole sale works for everyone or if you don't, it won't work. Right, right. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. That's how you built core values around your company. Or was Mm -hmm. that, and then tell us about building your personal philosophy outside of that. How is that different? So Tim Ferriss, I was listening to one of his live podcasts with, uh, I think it was the one with Cheryl Strayed, and he was in front of an audience and he said, who here can stand up and tell me their life philosophy? And I remember it was a good question. (laughs) Yeah. That made me feel like, oh man, I'm such a failure. I haven't done that. Like for me, I was said, oh wow. Right. Like it was a real wake up call that I know that I believe things really strongly, but I haven't maybe taken the time to write them down and it's my life. That should be the first thing that I kind of think about. And I don't know if I could have told you in my like teens and twenties necessarily. I feel like also it takes a lot of life practice and life experience to start to really trial and error and be like, oh, wow, I did that a hundred times and I hate it. Now I know that I really want to stand for this thing. So I wrote down like what I stand for and I started with those, you know, keywords. I was like light, love, friendship, which was okay, but it didn't stick. And actually in creating my company core values, I realized that two of them are my life values. Like they're so important to me. So I took two of them. I haven't been able to let them go. Like they're in my head. They're in my brain. The first one is make yourself the best place you can to be. Ooh, that's a good one. It, because I think that we're in our bodies, we're in our brains. Like we are the person that we carry around wherever we go and we can either spend our lives trying to escape it or trying to make it a really wonderful place to be. Yeah. Yeah. The second one is you don't have to do things the way they've always been done. Another good one. Those two really like I wrote them for the business, but I realized they're mine too. And you know, what's great is they can be like, also, if you're listening and you want it, like you can take them, you can take it, right? (laughs) You can have as long as it resonates and it's true for you. And it helps you kind of like, it helps you make decisions. It helps you decide how to act. It helps you understand how to show up in the world. It holds you accountable, right? Like when I get a little bit guilty that I'm not working 40 hours a week, I remind myself, yeah, that's not your promise to the world. You don't have to do things the way they've always been done. You're trying to do things in a different way, and that's okay. Right. For my gym in Seattle, I wrote out 11 core values for the gym, and they're all actionable, and we have them up on our wall. And I went to write, this was a little over a year ago, prior to the election of our current president, I wrote a Nasty Woman Manifesto, which was essentially like my personal core values. And it was interesting to see which ones carried over from the gym ones to my personal values. But what was even more interesting was like having a framework by which to live because I had defined these 11 items was really, really powerful. And it kind of becomes a filter where like you go to make a decision and you're like, well, that doesn't really fit in my core values. It's not even, and that's not, it doesn't mean that it would be makes whatever the decision is that you're saying like, oh, that would be a bad thing for me to do. It's just, it doesn't fit in my core values right now. Yeah, It's not in line with my core values. And it's really nice to have that filter. It helps you give yourself permission to say no to the things that are not either in line with your values or just not the best use of your time. A hundred percent. It makes it so much easier to make decisions because you're like, oh, whereas I think before there's this gray area and it's like, well, you know, I could be going to a lot of these different networking events and I could be trying to be on all the different social channels and like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Where you're making decisions responsively or reflexively, like based on whatever somebody else's conditions are, because emails come into our inbox all the time. And it's like, oh, that looks interesting, but it wasn't on your radar three seconds before. And it wasn't something you were chasing or pursuing. Like there's, it's actually rare that it aligns with what you would have intended to do if you gave yourself space for intentionality. Yeah. When you have those core values and it's like, you know, family time is super important to you or Pivotal Labs, they're a company here in New York because I I researched a bunch of different company core values. One of theirs is home by dinner. And I just love that. Great. Oh my gosh. They're huge. 
engineering firm, and yet they do not make people work late. It's very, very rare because one of their values is that they care about families. And I was like, hooray. Yeah. Like, I love that an engineering firm did this. That's very cool. I feel like now I need to change my core values and <laughs> add a new one that's like, no phones after 6 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm on the phone late at night, but I try to put it down from 5 to 7 p.m. Yeah. So yeah. like, there's so little family time. Right. That it's even more precious. Oh my gosh, yeah. totally, totally. So let's dive into a little bit around how we can start to do less to accomplish more. Because I think this is like the constant paradox or the constant challenge of motherhood is that we want to just keep adding things to our plate. And even people listening to this conversation are going to be like, oh my gosh, now I should start my own business or I should start a blog or a podcast. <laughs> right. Like The goal is not always to just be adding more and more and more and doing more and more. So can you talk about how you talk to women around the idea of doing less in order to accomplish more? Yeah. So this is actually, this ties it all together really nicely because one of the first guides that we're putting together for Startup Pregnant. So we hosted a weekly show, a podcast, and now we're creating really useful resources for people. And the goal is that five to 8,000 words or less, you know, never make it longer when you can make it shorter. They're little eBooks for people to read because I mean, my audience is moms and entrepreneurs. Like who has time to read an entire book? Right. Right. Like, so I'm going to give you a super short book. And the first one is all about how to do less in your business, because so many of us are trying to add more and more and more and more when really when you distill it down, like the core essence of your business, you're probably doing one or two things max and trying to optimize those. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people add so many things to their plate. They dilute it. They complicate it. And so I came up with this three-step strategy for how to do less. It's three simple questions. At the end of it, you have to do some evaluation, and it does get a little bit tricky and hard because deciding what not to do is hard. And I can't do that for you. I can walk you through how I like my framework for thinking about it. But the reason why deciding not to do something is so hard, I'm this is where I get super geeky and technical and I love it. The Latin root of the word for decide, seed and C-E-D-E is the same part of the word that is in cesarean and scissors. It's to cut. So to decide is to cut something away. And that's why we feel pain when we have to decide between one thing and the next. And nobody ever tells you, like, once you cut something away, it's actually you feel lightness and you feel freedom because you've chosen to do only one thing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, definitely. I think that makes so much sense. And I think that that's a challenge in the culture of motherhood as it stands. So I would, I would like to challenge people listening to think about what they can cut away. I was actually on a call this morning that I am on every Friday with a group of entrepreneurs. And one of the people was talking about how he wants to build this online course. And everyone, like literally, I think there was nine of us on the call. Like three other people were like, oh my God, that's a great idea. I'm totally going to do that too. And like, these are all people who are already really successful and have like a bunch of things going on. And they were all like, no, I'm totally going to also do an online course now, yes. and which is great. And they'll probably do it and be really successful. And if you have the time and the energy and the resources to do that, fine. But also I was like holding myself back and I was like, I'm not going to raise my hand. Like I'm not doing it. That's not what I'm focusing on right now because yeah. instead of that, I'm focusing on these other things and I want to go deeper in these other things or do these things better or do them to a more maybe profitable degree or more relevant degree than I currently am. So I'm not going to also add this new thing on just because I see other people doing it. That's a hard thing to do when the people around you are doing it in business and it's really yes. hard in motherhood. And when you see your, you know, when you see other families, we had a situation with another family a few months ago and the mom was like, yeah, we're going to start doing skiing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we should add skiing and we should add this and that. And it's like, no, my kid doesn't need to be in gymnastics and karate and swimming and skiing and soccer. Right now right. he's just doing gymnastics and we we're adding swimming in the next week or so, but he doesn't need to do all the things, but there's a lot of pressure and shiny object syndrome around this. Yes. So some of the questions I love to ask is like a follow-up. So first of all, I think that if the way you talk about your business and the way you talk about what you do feels a little bit underwhelming, that's actually a sign that you're doing just the right amount. And I don't think people use that as a tool. So for me, for a long time, I was like, I'm the host of a podcast. Womp, womp. 
Like <laughs> it didn't, like, it didn't feel like enough. And I was like, wait a second, I haven't felt this in a long time. And I'm going super laser focused on just creating a podcast. And it feels a little underwhelming. Like, is that it? Shouldn't I be doing more? I think that's a huge key. Like a lot of times we try to somehow eat like a full 27 course menu and think that we're somehow going to be able to do it all when like, right. A, it's not possible. B, doing it all is just a stupid phrase. And C, like we start to collapse what other people are doing and then like pick and choose every single person's best and yeah. think that somehow we can do like manage to do all of it. And instead it's like, I choose not to do that much laundry because I don't have that much clothes. I choose not to do that much cooking because we eat pretty boring. We choose not to commute because I work from home. All of these things add up to allow you to focus on one or two things with a lot of intention, intentionality. Makes so sense. It's so much. So some of the questions for people listening, some of the things I ask people in this book, and you can get it, it's on our website for free, is like, if you had to pick one thing, what would it be? Super hard question, but ask yourself, if I only had 10 hours a week, what would I choose first? If I still want to do a whole bunch of things, how about ordering them? What would be this year? What would be next year? So for me and my business, I was like, oh, I want to do a podcast and I also want to write a book and I want to do speaking and I want to run this mastermind. And I cut speaking and I cut the mastermind from my whole year plan because I said, if I do the podcast and I grow the podcast, that will lead naturally. Yes, totally. Well, which will lead naturally to public speaking, but I don't need to do them all today. So when people ask me to do public speaking this year, I say, I can get on a microphone and a podcast, but I'm not leaving my house to do speaking gigs because the opportunity cost is too high right now. Yeah, that's such a great response. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs who work that way. And I know one of my coaches does like three month increments where she's like, you know, for this three months, like speaking is not on the table for this three month period check back with me in three months and that might change because she kind of does like a quarterly. Exactly. Shift but yeah, so that it's totally, that's totally fine and appropriate. And that can be challenging because there's a little bit of, I, th I think you have to get over scarcity mindset and thinking like, Oh my gosh, what if I never get another offer again? And like those kinds of things, but recognizing yeah. that everything that is available to you now will be available to you in the future. And maybe even more so, right? Like your yeah. problem in the future might actually be that you need to develop this ability to discern and decide. Yeah. For me, for speaking gigs, for example, unless it's Ted, they're paying me $20,000 a year and it's in New York City, I'm not doing it, right? Like one of those <laughs> yeah. things has to be true. Right. And so, but what you can do is a no doesn't have to be a no. You can also say, oh, I'm not doing any speaking in 2018, but are you right. hosting this conference again in 2019? Let's yeah. book it. It can be a no right, right now. Yeah. Exactly. It also can be a pay it forward. Like you probably know people in your network that really want to do speaking gigs. Mm -hmm. And so you can say, oh, I know the perfect person for you. Let I me just did that today. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My thing is online summits. So just today I had like three people in the last 24 hours asking me to do online summits. And there's online summits are a great way for people to build different platforms and do different things. And many of us have probably participated in them or many moms have probably listened to them as participants. But I just don't have room for them on my schedule right now. And this one was very specific to health and fitness. And I said, I can't do this right now, but would you like any referrals? And she was like, email me right away. Oh yes, I would love. And I was like, here's a list of people that I've interviewed. You can check them out on my podcast. You can see if they are a good fit for you. I can put you in contact if you want. Like, and she was so grateful. Like she basically got better than getting me. She got a list of five other people. So yeah, that exactly. opportunity to pay it forward, I think is really great. Yes. So what do you want other moms to know about building a life that they love? You've touched on so many great things here. Is there anything you want to say to kind of sum it up? Or do you have something new that you want to leave us with, with for that? Part of our life's job is to figure out what's right for us, what's true for us. And finding it, like you, the first 40 years of your life might be dedicated to doing enough experiments to find out what it is that you love, right? If you don't have the answer to that question, that's the first question. But once you know what it is, Cut everything else out. Like none of it matters. Can you tell us in what ways you're a shameless mom? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, go. Let's go. I let my house get like inappropriately dirty and I don't <laughs> care. Right. And I mostly don't shave my legs and like it's hard for me to like, put deodorant on. I don't wear antiperspirant. I just don't. I wear a lot of black clothing because that's easy. I'm a sweaty person. Like, so what? Yeah. Uh, but like, I know how to play the game. Like, if I'm going down to a bank to do a presentation, I'll put some antiperspirant on and I'll shave my legs, right? right? Like, I can do that once in a while if I have to. 
But no, I don't really do it. And <laughs> I've stopped caring about dinner parties. Like I host a lot at my house because I've got a kiddo, but he's great. So we'll have dinner parties from five to eight and tell people it's the early shift. I'm like, come on over at five. You are definitely getting kicked out at eight. Like nice. I don't go late and I'm not cooking anything fancy. You'll be lucky if there's like sauce that matches the pasta. And I <laughs> Mine spend, is like, crock pot chili. I'm like, well, we're having yeah. crock pot chili, which everyone's had a million times and thinks is the only thing I can make. But you're welcome to come have some. Right. Yeah, come over. Like, have leftovers for all you care. The point is having the people over, like, not impressing them. Right, right. Totally. Okay, this has been so fun, Sarah. I so appreciate you being here. So I want to do our Shameless Mommy Minute, which is our lightning round. But before we do that, can you tell us where we can find you and where people can connect with you? Yeah, so Startup Pregnant is the website that I'm building right now. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Startup Pregnant. And we have a community for moms on Facebook that are interested in entrepreneurship. So you just Go to our website, startuppregnant.com, and you can apply to join that community. Perfect. And then you also have your own branded website as well. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I do. SarahKPeck.com. Okay. So the K in the middle stands for my middle name. And then all over the social web, I'm at Sarah K. Peck. And I still write there because I can't not. Like I've tried quitting writing my own <laughs> blog. And it's just one of those things like I get twitchy at Friday night at 10 p.m. I can't go to sleep till I've written a blog post. So I still do it. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice. So I will have all those links up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. And okay, Shameless Mommy Minute. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? love reading books. I try to do it 15 minutes a day. And I just bought a subscription for a monthly membership to a massage. Ooh, nice. Okay. So like great segue me to do it. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Your first answer was a great segue into our next question. What is the current book that you're reading or the last one you read? I usually read like three books at a time. I read a fun one because if I'm tired, I don't want to try hard. And <laughs> I read like, cause you're like, oh, I don't want to read. Oh, that one's good. Yeah. I'm I read, I usually read like a parenting book and a business book because I'm always Gosh, learning. Gosh, we are like from- book twins. <laughs> oh, but I should, with the, I will mention that my quote unquote fun book is always an autobiography. <laughs> so, oh, find a memoir. Yeah. Yes, totally. So yeah, but I'm always like a parenting book, a business development book and an autobiography. Yeah. Yeah. Or science fiction. I'll throw some science fiction in Oh, I in cannot there. get on board with that. We're not twins anymore. <laughs> That's how I like to stay in touch with my husband. So like, he'll read 10 sci-fi books for every one of mine, but there are some so good funny. ones. You know, try Station Eleven if and tell me what you think. You don't have to, but that book. would be a, it's stuck in my brain. I read it. It's a sci-fi, it's more like a post-apocalyptic dystopian world future. Oh. Like the flu comes and gets like 99% of the world's population sick and then we have to rebuild the world. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. That does sound interesting. I just don't like weird creatures and stuff. Like I want it to be about human beings. No, it's always got to be human, like Ender's Game or Ready Player One or like it's got to be about the people. Okay. At the center. Like yeah. you can't have weird creatures that don't actually exist in the real world. <laughs> Um, what is one morning ritual that you can't live without it's hard because my kid used to get up at 5 30 every day and we worked really hard to get him to go to sleep until 6 30 he finally does it nice in my dream world i would swim every morning in the real world i get up around five don't kill me i get up around five most days i go into the living room i check in on social media because i'm going to be honest and then i read a book for 15 minutes I to- oh my gosh, I totally appreciate that. And we, we're kind of early morning routine twins as well. I try to not get on social media before I start reading, but oftentimes I do just really quick. Because <laughs> like I realize that I'm anxious, I'm nervous. I'm like, I want to make sure there aren't any fires in my email inbox. Mm-hmm. And I like seeing what my friend, like I love my friends. I yeah. have a really good relationship with my friends on the internet. So like get on. I always check the time before and after. It's usually like five o'clock and then it's like 522. And I'm like, all right, I just spent 22 minutes catching up with friends. Yeah. But I feel like relaxed afterwards and relieved. Mm-hmm. And then I read my book for a while and I make a cup of tea. And then if my kid's still asleep, I do like 10 minutes or 15 minutes of exercise. Nice. Very nice. Who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, that's a great question. Every woman I've interviewed, like part of me wants to say Shonda Rhimes and Oprah and Brene Brown. Like I just, I'm so inspired by the way they live and the way they've built their work. And then also the media does this weird distortion, separation, kind of idolization thing of big famous people. And I see the same qualities in so many women that are just living just like me. And I'm really inspired by them. Totally. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. (laughs) I totally agree. And I don't think that 
that is said enough or loudly enough. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? The ability to say no, because you're not the one who has to do it all. And the ability to sleep in for one more hour because everyone can use more sleep. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I love it. Sarah, thank you so much for spending time with us today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I appreciate you being here. And I love the work that you're doing and the messages that you're spreading. And I cannot wait to see what direction this all goes in and where you end up. Right back at you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you so much for spending time with Sarah and me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. We always appreciate you being here. And if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with new episodes and you can subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will drop you into Apple podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. So you get access to every episode immediately after it's released. While you're there, leave a review. Our reviews are our ratings. And that is how more people find the show and become more shameless moms every damn day and share the show out on social media. Take a screenshot of this episode of the podcast and share it out on your social media channels. You can tag me at the shameless mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I always reply as soon as I see the tags, which is usually pretty quickly. And I love that you're sharing the show and helping us grow. We recently hit over 500,000 downloads, which I'm so excited about. And we are on course to do a million downloads this year. So help me help you make all mamas a little more shameless by sharing the show out. It really means so much. Thank you again for spending time with us today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I can't wait to be back with you again on Monday. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.